Hello, and welcome to this episode of Transit Research Today, the official podcast of the Transit Cooperative Research Program. I'm Stephen Parker, a Senior Program Officer at the Transportation Research Board. We have a great program for you today. Our guest is Deb Matherly of WSP, Principal Investigator for the TCRP Pandemic Playbook. Welcome, Deb. Thank you. Glad to be here. The Pandemic Playbook includes basic context, then describes about 20 plays, such as communications and transit protective actions. What is a play? What do you mean by that? A play basically summarizes key reminders and actions, and in this case for transportation agencies for a pandemic. It's really a quick reference guide to specific topics. It's good for updating planning, but can also help on the cusp of an event. For example, communications, we talk about the need to over-communicate. During an emergency, people are very stressed. It's hard to focus. And so it's helpful to have repetition and use multiple methods of communications. This applies to both employees and the public. Also, it's important to let the public and employees know that their safety and concerns are utmost importance to the agency. For example, some transit agencies put their cleaning crews in new vests and actually showed and smelled. You could actually smell the the fresh cleaning agents. And another example, the APTA guidance communicates the mutual obligations for health and safety for transit agencies and customers. In other words, here is a transit agency. Here's what we're doing to protect you by providing information, by cleaning, etc. And here is what you, a customer, need to do to keep yourself and keep others safe. Transit agencies put markers in stations to show social distancing for fare gates and platforms. Many also provided online information about crowded trains and buses. So communications is very important. Many tried to enforce mask wearing on buses and trains. Some were able to actually get enforceable directives, like, you know, you have to wear pants and shoes and you have to wear a mask. And many used positive reinforcement, like mask giveaways. And so communications really help set expectations as well as most people really want to do the right thing. That's very cool. I I didn't realize how multi-sensory the communications were, particularly taken uh, by your mentioning use of of smell of cleaners, since Mm -hmm. memory is is so deeply imprinted by your sense of smell. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. Switching gears a little bit, our listeners may want to know how you possibly manage to get funding and put a team together and both create and publish a pandemic playbook between spring and November of 2020. Yeah, that was quite remarkable. Actually, in February of 2020, we were just beginning work on the NCHRP 116 project, developing an emergency management playbook for transportation. When the pandemic started showing itself in March and April, our team said, hey, this, there, there's some real-time lessons to be learned here. Can, can we pivot to capture this? And the panel thankfully agreed. So how did you go about that? Well, we we contacted transit agencies, Department of Transportation managers, and senior staff. We were able to talk to them in the midst of the pandemic. I know they were very, very busy, but they were very generous with their time to let us know what they were doing, what they were finding out, what was going on. We made contacts through APTA, 
CTAA. We also followed a lot of news reports and other connections. Well, this is all really real time then. So, okay. so you split interviews and examples pretty evenly between transit agencies and state DOTs. What was your rationale for that? Well, as we started talking, we were finding very distinct differences in the impacts and the reactions between transit agencies and the DOTs. For example, transit agencies, especially bus and paratransit operators, were very much on the front lines, direct customer interaction. They were having major drops in ridership, major losses of funding. On the other hand, DOTs were also performing major functions, keeping roads and ports open and safe for masks, supplies, and food. But at the same time, their maintenance construction crews had to have some precautions. But the DOTs, the lack of traffic actually helped many of them advance construction. So they're very, very different dynamics. So and the transit, the frontline workers were carrying frontline workers. Oh, definitely. The bus drivers and train operators and station attendants were definitely essential workers, and they were transporting essential workers, keeping the, the lifeblood of many cities going in many ways. In order to do that, they had to be facing some pretty big challenges. So what were some of the biggest challenges faced by transit agencies early on, and how did their challenges and responses change over the course of the year? Oh, that's a great question. There were big, unprecedented, often conflicting demands. I mean, they were having to develop policies and protective actions to protect drivers and customers from an unknown virus at the beginning. They had a drastic sudden drop in riders, and then they were providing for essential workers, but trying to figure out who are the essential workers. At at one point, it was considered really like hospital workers, but then it's like, service workers, grocery stores, pharmacy workers, so many essential workers that have to be on the front lines. There were lots of changes in terms of what is social distancing. Is is this coming through airflow? Is it coming through transmission on buses and trains? How many people can we allow on a bus or train? Some regions even had different requirements for mask wearing from one town to the next. There was a lot of changes throughout the time in terms of understanding how the disease spread. First, there was a lot of concern about surface transmission and looking at no-touch entry and all that. Then it became more a consideration of, of air transmission. There was also, at times, as you remember, some hostility and aggression. There were assaults on drivers and customer service. I think we all remember the Detroit driver who was complaining about the customer who deliberately coughed on him. He died. Uh, There were some real tragedies there. And so some agencies started out putting up shower curtains to protect their operators, started out offering free fares, uh, going to rear door entry, and then gradually implementing more permanent measures that would be more longstanding and going to like no touchless fare payment such. There were changes in Customers' travel environments, uh, from, from the major drop at the beginning to having a lot of early and late shifts for medical and service workers, while a lot of peak hours weren't as heavy because a lot of people were working from home. So they were in for those, when they had heavy shifts for medical, they also had to have social distancing on vehicles 
and those things changed throughout the uh, throughout the pandemic. It was really a balancing act: how to keep up, where is service needed most right now, how to how to be equitable, how to keep customers informed as ch- you're changing routes and schedules and policies. Then there was the much reduced funding and restored funding. As you remember, there was wave after wave of changes on changes. And really, some agencies emerged better than others, but everyone pretty much survived and learned and should be commended for really serving the communities and protecting their employees during this novel pandemic. And remember, it really isn't even over yet. No, no, it is not. And that's why it's it's so helpful to have gotten uh, the guidance out early. Let's take a moment for a short break, and then we'll continue our conversation with our guest, Deb Matherly of WSB, Principal Investigator for the TCRP Pandemic Playbook. You can become involved with the work of the Transif Cooperative Research Program, TCRP. Submit new research topics. Serve as a panel member propose to conduct TCRP research, or serve as a contractor. Visit the Transit Cooperative Research Program for more information at www.trb.org TCRP. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of Transit Research Today, the official podcast of the Transit Cooperative Research Program. I'm Stephen Parker from the Transportation Research Board. I'm joined today by Deb Matherly of WSP, Principal Investigator for the TCRP Pandemic Playbook. We were talking just before the break about big challenges by transit agencies. What were some of the biggest challenges faced by the state DOTs? And how does the playbook suggest that agencies can respond? With the transit agencies and with the DOTs, this pandemic was pretty new to almost everyone. Exception, Dallas had faced an Ebola outbreak a few years ago, so that gave them a head start on some protective measures and such. But for most, this was really unprecedented. And as you all know, in a regular disaster like a hurricane or flood or earthquake, we have to worry about our roads and our buses and our trains that are are damaged. In the pandemic, people were the most heavily impacted. Agencies adapted elements of their emergency plans, sometimes their continuity of operations or coop plans, sometimes incident action plans, some dusted off old pandemic plans, but everything had to be adjusted and adapted significantly in order to deal with what they were facing. There were also a lot of concurrent natural disasters. We had hurricanes, wildfires, we had major winter storm just in February in the deep south in Texas and all that. And the pandemic complicated the response about transport, shelter, et cetera. So again, agencies had to build on what they knew, but also be flexible to the new situations. And again, in the pandemic, the employee impacts were paramount. People would personally, they would become sick. They would have sick family members. They were facing new responsibilities of children, schools, their family income might be reduced. And agencies can help a lot through communication, being flexible and transparent, but also offering support. Some like offering alternative duties, supporting other agencies, helping with other resources. Again, people need people, and so the lack of interaction in two teams can, can impact morale. This also impacted customers. 
not just the service changes, but when we're wearing masks, it's hard to tell facial expressions and warmth. And so agencies can help by both formal and informal communications and modeling friendly customer interactions. How do you do that when you're wearing a mask? The long-lasting nature of the pandemic really provided a lot of stress for everyone and psychological impacts. And so agencies who are aware and promote awareness of people's need to take a break, that they can't just be on, you know, 24-7, 24-7, and publicize the resources that they have to help to help both employees and family members and customers. And again, as we know, many organizations lost funding and they had to have furloughs, job cuts that produced insecurity for staff. So agencies could help by some deferring expenditures, tapping new revenue streams, economizing operations, but also being as transparent as possible with employees as to what's being done, and what they can expect. Another thing is also remembering that almost any action may have unintended consequences. So being alert to things you may not have expected and being nimble and creative and being willing to correct yourself as well. Are there particular items that responses from transit agencies that particularly impressed you or from state DOTs? Definitely. The Transit agencies in particular, the drivers and customer service people who, you know, station agents who were willing and to be on the front lines. And they knew that they were carrying people who were needing to go to essential jobs or essential services. And they they really literally put their lives on the line for that. They were very willing to take on unusual roles, such as delivering food or other supplies to people. DOTs were also very flexible and creative. Many ended up volunteering as contact tracers, serving in unemployment claims, working at Department of Motor Vehicles or Vehicle Emission Inspection Stations, providing traffic support for using those stations for COVID testing. I mean, there was a lot of real on-the-fly adjustment and and really willingness to work together on this. Well, it sounds like a lot of creativity and engagement uh, from folks on the front lines. Did anything surprise you? Well, one thing was, I think everyone saw is the speed of response. And particularly in transit agencies, I used to work transit agencies, and there are some very complicated processes that go into developing schedules. They usually take months to redo a full schedule. You have to think about bus schedules, operator run cuts, notifying customers. And they took this, in many cases, they went from months to doing this in days or weeks. And it really marvelous. And they had to do this many times as they were adjusting to both drops in service and then rebuilding service and then readjusting service to where it was needed. It was a really an amazingly creative effort and a real team effort in many cases that made this happen. And there was also a lot of experimentation and active learning and really admitting when they were making mistakes on 
sometimes they cut late night bus service and then realize, no, these are essential workers. So having to fix these things very quickly. Another thing with the DOTs and the transit agencies, they had partnerships to open streets to dedicated bus lanes, bike and ped lanes, really pop-up testing of things, reclaiming roads as public space for everything from, from restaurants to bikes and such. And being able to be very, again, creative and flexible and do these things that otherwise might have taken years to get going. This is great. You mentioned the speed in public transportation on operator run cuts and bus scheduling. Did anything stand out to you about labor management cooperation? Well, we didn't specifically ask that, but we know it could not have been done without cooperation. We were guessing that most transit agencies had emergency clauses in their labor agreements, but we know also that operating for under these extraordinary circumstances for over a year definitely required cooperation. And there was a lot of really teamwork in, I think, in most agencies, understanding that this was a national crisis. So, Sure. You'd also mentioned about operators taking on unusual roles, such as delivering food. It seemed that that might have had even more of an impact on people with disabilities and paratransit operators. Yeah, well, we know overall that COVID hit the most vulnerable the hardest, everything from health conditions, poverty, crowded living condition. So many people with disabilities experienced multiple risk factors. And so transit and paratransit were essential for them. We do know that, for example, when buses went to rear boarding, they had to make exceptions for people with disabilities if the wheelchair lift was at the front door. So there were some accommodations in that. But for paratransit, we talked with one paratransit agency that they divided their crews into two pods and they prohibited face-to-face contact between the pods so that if one group had someone who was infected, they would still have people who could transport their paratransit customers to medical appointments, to everything that they needed to get to. Well, I'm not sure how prevalent that was because we did find similar examples in some highway maintenance crews and all that. Another concern about paratransit operators is that they did have greater risk of infection because they're often in much closer contact with their passengers, helping them adjust seat belts and all that. They were definitely frontline. Another aspect of that is that in social distancing, sometimes that would mean that they could only carry one passenger in a vehicle, which really increase their costs per passenger, decrease their productivity, but really was needed for safety. Sure. Well, you end the playbook with silver linings. How'd you come to that? And what were some of your key findings? As we started this, we noticed some people mentioning good outcomes and things that were changing for the better. So we started asking deliberately, and we've got a lot of great examples. Some found that there were improved employee and management relations, that they were having more frequent, more informal get-togethers, and that really helped. Again, the speed of with which people were able to shift to online operations and to both working at home and changing procedures, many employees were very effective working from home. But things like that 
might have taken years otherwise. There were lots of innovations like implementing touchless fare systems and other automated procedures like door opening and such. As you mentioned also, like the reduced traffic volumes let some agencies test dedicated bus lanes and bike and pedestrian lanes, and some of these have been retained. Again, DOTs were able to advance some construction and rehabilitation projects, bridges and all that. And as we've learned over 16 months or so, transportation agencies have been very proactive and responsive. They've been meeting many community needs and helping people move from one place to another and doing so much above, really above and beyond the call of duty. One of the challenges now is how to continue that momentum and innovation and energy. Don't leave it behind. This report is a joint publication of the National Cooperative Highway Research Program, NCHRP, and the Transit Cooperative Research Program, TCRP. The TCRP, NCHRP Pandemic Playbook, accessed online, just search for TCRP Pandemic Playbook. You can find it on the APTA website, on the TRB website, or through your favorite search engine. Well, we're just about out of time, but before we say goodbye, I want to thank you for listening to this episode of Transit Research Today, the official podcast of the Transit Cooperative Research Program. And of course, I want to say a special thank you to Deb Matherly for taking time to join us. Thank you, Deb. Thank you. Thank you.